Uh, I'm going to read the Bible for us. Um, I'd love it if you picked up the few Bibles and had a look at them uh, and read along, and I'm sure that would be a great encouragement, not only to the people beside you, but to Matt, who's going to be preaching to us. I'm preaching from... preaching. I'm <laughs> reading from uh, chapter 12, verse 12. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now that the crowd that was with him uh, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this thing is getting us nowhere. Look how he, the whole world has gone to him. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come. The Son of Man must be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No! It was for this reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it, they said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law and the Messiah, that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say 
the Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light for just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light because darkness overtake, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. When he finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Thank you, Rami. It was nice to hear the ruffle, but I think some of you were doing it a bit deliberately. Extra. Was anyone doing any extra ruffles? No, but it's good. Please do have God's word open in front of you. Uh, we're going to be trekking through uh, this passage together. It's actually the last sermon in the series in this Light and Light series. Uh, so we're going to see how uh, this part of John's gospel finishes up. Before we do, I'm going to pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it tells us about who you are, who Jesus is, what it means to walk in your way, having you as our king. We pray tonight that my words are yours and that Holy Spirit, you'll be at work through each and every single one of us, whether we're here or over the screen. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we are talking about the king. But when you think of the position of the king, or like the concept of kingship, the king, what comes into your mind? What What kind of thoughts happen for you? Perhaps your mind goes straight to King Charles III. Maybe he's fresh in mind. Or perhaps in the opposite way, you're like, out with the monarchy, we're in for the republic, you know, we can do it on our own. Maybe that's what you think of when it comes to the king. If you're into American basketball, maybe you're thinking of King James, aka LeBron James. Anybody thought of King James? Not one of you. That is disappointing. That's all right. Netflix series. If you're into Netflix, maybe it's The King, the Netflix series that captured your imagination, or maybe you're like, I had thought of absolutely nothing. The King had no categories in my mind. For the majority of us, the concept of having a king of someone who has an authority over us, someone that we submit to, it it grates against us. Especially those of us who have kind of that anti-authoritarian nature. The concept of a king is not something that naturally fits. However, in our everyday life, as we go about uh, living, the very concepts of having a king over us is part of our everyday. They're still very much the kings of our life. Now, I don't mean King Charles III or your parents or your boss or your uni lecturer or anything like that. We have people. We have ideas. We have thoughts who rule us. And it's usually the king in our life is ourself. That is usually the king in our life. Of course, there's things that happen to us that are beyond our control. Um, we like to see ourselves as the highest authority, uh, whether we're consciously thinking it or not. And so having an alternate king come before us is challenging. Now, as we had the passage read before, for both Jesus and the Jews, the category of of the king was very positive. Uh, They had a very positive view. 
In fact, the whole kind of story arc of the Bible is very much about the Jews waiting for a king, especially from kind of the second half of the Old Testament. There's all these prophecies about them waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a king to come and save them. To the Jews that are currently listening in this point in time, they're oppressed by the Romans. The Romans have They're occupying Israel. They kind of let them do their thing, but they're definitely the boss. They're oppressing them. So the Jews are like, we want a Messiah, a king to liberate us, to free us. But more than that, they need a king who's going to restore the kingdom of God. And even more than that, along with that, they need a king who's going to save them from their sin. To help them live a life that is to the full. To live a life that is to God into eternity. And this is the kind of king that not only the Jews needed, but that the Romans needed. And that every civilization, including this one, that we need. This kind of king. Now, in the narrative of John, this Messiah, king-like figure, has been building and building. Right? We know it's Jesus. It's been building in the narrative. Uh, Some people are calling Jesus Messiah. Some people are a bit indignant. Uh, The leaders, they hate him. They want to kill him. That's been what is happening. There's been lots and lots of festivals uh, in this series from chapter 7 onwards. And then we hit this festival. This festival is Passover. Maybe one of the biggest festivals that the Jewish people had. And what they're celebrating in Passover is the fact that they've been liberated. They've been liberated from Egypt. In the Old Testament, Exodus, uh, God with his mighty hand redeems them. He liberates them from their oppression there. It's like their Independence Day, if you like. And so that's what they celebrate in Passover. And that's the setting that Jesus is walking, riding into. To leaders that want to kill him, to people who are celebrating their previous independence and God's hand over them. And Jesus enters Jerusalem as the king. Just prior to what we had read in, John, in chapter 12, Jesus has been just outside Jerusalem having a meal. And now he walks into the city and people know he's coming. They've heard he's raised Lazarus from the dead, which we had last week. There's this big kind of movement towards Jesus. And they start getting palm branches. They're like, the king is going to come. We're going to celebrate Jesus coming in. Kind of like a returning king. He, they want to um, help him enter back in to the city. And we read from verse 12. So the ground comes, who had great crowd had come for the festival. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They take the palm branches. They go out to him shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna, which was like, save. Like, well, you're here to save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. That's who they're talking about in Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He finds a young donkey. Seems a little bit backwards. He finds a young donkey and sits on it. Now, our author John, he's very helpful. Uh, He says, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Uh, Talking about Jerusalem, the Israelites. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is the scene of what we call Palm Sunday. The people ecstatic. They're joyful. They're thinking, our king, our savior, he's here. Hail the king. They believe he's come to save them and they want to praise God. 
What they don't know is that Jesus is walking to the cross. They're not hailing a suffering servant king. They're hailing what they think is going to be a political, military, restoring kind of king. Now what's interesting is that unlike the other times in the Gospel of John where Jesus is kind of confronted with or someone saying he's the Messiah or those kind of questions, Jesus usually kind of speaks a bit cryptically or brushes it off in some way, shape or form, doesn't really directly own it, even though he does. Here, though, he seems to accept it quite wholeheartedly. Now, he doesn't tell all these people, no, put your palm branches away. In other parts of the Gospels, that are like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Matthew, Mark and Luke, sorry, we read that when the Pharisees came to Jesus, they said, tell your disciples to stop doing that. You know, put your palm branches away. And he says, oh, if I tell them to stop, even the stones will cry out. See, so Jesus, he doesn't tell them to stop. But then John makes a very specific, explicit point here in John. He says that Jesus has found a young donkey and he sits on it. He rides this young donkey into the city. Now, this is a prophecy. This was a prophecy about the king found in Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah chapter 9, it's very much talking about how God is going to send this Messiah, this king-like figure who's going to redeem them. But when he comes into the city, he comes on a young donkey. Now it says uh, in verse 16, the disciples didn't really understand this was going on at the time, but what Jesus is doing is saying, here I am. The king is here. The crowd sees it, what they think is going on, and Jesus affirms it in a different kind of way. And when this king comes... It divides. It divides people again. There's all these different responses to the king. In verse 17 through to 19, we read that as the news spread, some people uh, believed in the signs uh, that Jesus had performed. And then we read again that the Pharisees are upset. Uh, they're very upset about what's going on. They indignantly say in verse 19, look how the whole world is going after him. This is not working for us. The whole world is going after him. Now, that sounds like it's a bit hyperbole, right? This is just Jerusalem we're talking about. But like the whole world is their statement. Now, John uses that to make a really strong theological point. Read on. It might not be immediately obvious, but John's making a clear one. He says, Now there were some Greeks among them who went up to the worship at the festival. They came to Philip. He's a disciple of Jesus. With a request, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. What's going on here? The Greeks are not Jews. The Greeks are representative of people of the world. They're Gentiles. They're not of the Israelite nation. See, the Pharisees, they're concerned. Oh, the whole world is going after Jesus, but really only thinking of the Jews. Now, literally, people who are representative of the whole world are coming to Jesus. We want to see him. This kind of takes us back to John chapter 10, where Jesus was saying, I have come for other sheep, not just of this flock. Sheep from the nations. We're all going to be one flock. He was setting like a vision for mission. A vision for mission right at the beginning. And now the nations are coming to Jesus. It's expanding. And friends, we are these people. Unless you're a Jew, maybe you are. Welcome. I don't know. If there's any Jews here, if you are, welcome. But even so, we are all part of the one flock. Praise God, we're all part of the one flock. 
But it makes us ask the question, if we are like these people who are coming to Jesus, this is, the king, this is how Jesus is painted to be as the king, what are the attitudes that we have as we come to him? It's worth reflecting in this moment, what does it mean for us to have Jesus as our king? What does that mean for us? To give him our complete allegiance. Now in some ways, what are the most clearest examples we've already had tonight? In Hudson. When Hudson came up and he shared his testimony and got baptized, he didn't use the word that Jesus is his king, but that's what he was declaring. He's declaring that his allegiance is now to Jesus. Jesus is his saviour. Jesus is his king. He is no longer the ruler of his life. Jesus is. And he's willingly submitted to the Lord. Willingly submitted to his loving and care and to the authority of Jesus. Now, perhaps you've done that too. Perhaps you've been baptized, uh, whether it be in the Baptist tradition or some other one, and you've uh, declared your allegiance to Jesus. Or maybe you're on that journey, you've um, done that where you've repented and had faith. You've declared that Jesus is your Lord, that he has your allegiance. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And as you look at your life, as, we look at, as I look at my life, we ask, is that actually reflected in the way that we live? Jesus being the king, is that actually reflected in the way that we live? As I was preparing this sermon, I found myself asking, Jesus, he might be my saviour, but is he my king? So I ask all of us, Jesus might be your saviour, but is he your king? It is good, it is wonderful, it is true that Jesus is our saviour. We are saved by grace alone. Amen. We, the forgiveness, the love, the mercy that we find in Jesus because he is our saviour. He saves us from our sin. It is 100% true. We did a never let go of that. But if that is the only aspect that we see about Jesus, then it's not the full picture. If we love him just as a saviour and a saviour without being a king, then we might not always follow in his way especially when life gets hard, when we don't see the purpose of his commands, when we don't see how it's going to work out, when we only see Jesus as just a saviour, we're only going to follow him probably when it feels right. We'll just treat him like a genie. 100% Jesus is our saviour. We never take that away. He is our saviour and also our Lord, our King. So when we declare that Jesus is our king, we are declaring that he is actually our authority. He's the ultimate authority in our life. Not just the idea of Jesus. Not just the idea of who he is. Not something that we've shaped our own hopes or imaginations or expectations of who he is like what we saw the Jews doing. The actual person of Jesus. The words, the ways. He is the highest authority in our life. Not a set of nice thoughts just about social justice or about love or forgiveness or our theology that is of the left or of the right, if it's conservative or progressive. Not just the ideas about Jesus, but actually who he is. And we read about who he actually is, his words and his ways in the Bible. That is why we hold up the Bible as God's word, as, as the authority in our life. And if Jesus is not the authority in our life, the person, the words and the ways are not the authority in our life, and something else is. Something else will be the authority in our life. 
Jesus is the king. So we ask ourselves, are we going to continue to live out that allegiance to him as the king? Does that paint a picture of my life? Does it paint a picture of, of your life? Now to continue on in the passage, uh, in, in kind of typical fashion, it takes a turn. We are people who, who center ourselves on, on God through his word, and so we return to it, but we see that it does change a little bit here. We've seen Jesus enter as the king and kind of accept it in a way. Uh, And we've considered what it means for us to have an allegiance to the king. But then Jesus paints a bit of a vision of that, a vision of the nature of Jesus' kinship and what it looks like to follow him. Because the nature of Jesus' kinship is very different. It's a very different kind of king and a kind of kingdom. Instead of claiming a throne as he comes in, instead of claiming and getting this huge army behind him, he turns to the crowd. He turns to his disciples and he says this. Verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now for us kind of reading John, this should make us stand up. Oh, the hour has come. We've been reading again and again, the hour has not yet come. All the way back since chapter 2 where his mother Mary comes to Jesus to make the water into wine, that story, and Jesus says, my time has not yet come. It's happened again and again, but now the time has come. So we're in full anticipation. what, What is this hour? What is this glorification that he's on about? And basically what he goes to do is talk about an illustration and talk about the fact that he needs to be raised up in his death. In verse 24, it says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then verse 31 through to 33, Now it is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up on the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And John very kindly says to us, And this is to show the kind of death that he was going to die. So when Jesus said it is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified, he is talking about his death on the cross. Subsequently, his resurrection and his ascension, but specifically about his death. Although he isn't literally walking to his death that day, this is the plan, this is the mission the Father has sent him on. Uh, That's what it was saying in verses 27 to 28. It's not a mission that he's feeling like pleasant about but he knows this is the right thing to do, following in the mission of the Father. His hour has come. It's a bit like the moment of King Charles at the moment. Um, His whole life, he's been waiting for his hour to come, but it hasn't been it yet. Suddenly, uh, his mother, the Queen Mary, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, dies. Not Queen Mary. Anyway, it hasn't been his hour, but now it is but he's still waiting his coronation. He's waiting until May for him to be coronated. His hour has come, but he waits his coronation. That is exactly what is happening with Jesus here. But his coronation is not a crown, but a cross. Jesus' coronation is not a crown, but a cross. Jesus is offering a very, very, very different type of king. Maybe not the king that we're expecting, maybe not the king that we want, Maybe not the king that we think we need, but actually the one that we need. The kind of king that we've never seen before. 
Jesus, he doesn't force taxes or labor. He doesn't abuse his power. He doesn't corrupt. He's not the leader that is only in it for himself. No, he willingly dies for his people. He willingly dies so that others might live. His glory is coming, but the coronation is not a crown but a cross. And he does it for his Father's glory and our good. Like if you are a Christian and you want to come into his family, that is a beautiful message. That is the kind of king that we serve. That is the kind of king that we worship. And that means that Jesus is the kind of king that brings life. There is no other way. There is no other way it can be found in another person, in ourselves, in some kind of other way. Only in Jesus can we find life. So that is the nature of Jesus' kingship. And that is why we need him. And with that established, about how the fact he is a king, the nature of his king, he then tells us what it looks like to walk in his way, to follow in his way as the king. Now in this passage, he makes two very direct comments. Um, One of them is at the end of the passage from verse 35 on, where he talks about how we need to walk in the light, uh, to follow in his way. That very much picks up on what happened in chapter 8 and chapter 9 that Lachlan and then Ange uh, preached from. Very much talking about how he brings truth. And in our postmodern culture of relative truth, that really is uh, a significant thing. Uh, Jesus being the light brings um, direction, shows us the way. Now that whole concept is worthy of a sermon in itself. So if you want to explore that, I encourage you, go back on YouTube, listen to uh, the sermon from chapter 8 and from chapter 9. To move to the other part of Jesus' direct teaching here, it comes from uh, directly in the middle, verses 25 to 26. Now, as we just explored, Jesus says that he needs to die in order for there to be life. Sounds very, very backwards. Die to bring life? That doesn't really make sense. But that's what he says. But then he applies that principle to us. He applies the principle to us. If you want to live, you need to die to yourself is what he says. Let me read from verse 24 again. He says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone, now talking to people like us, anyone who loves their life will lose it, or anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. According to Jesus, the way that a seed bears fruit, and we see this in our life, is it needs to die. Physically die in the ground and then it sprouts a new tree or whatever it may be, bearing lots of fruit. Death is necessary for life. And Jesus is saying, if you want your life to bear fruit, you want it to count You want to experience the life to the full. You want to be part of eternal life with God into eternity. Then don't love the things of the world. In fact, hate them. That's strong language, but that is what he's saying. Die to them. And instead, love and live the ways of God's kingdom. It's not that we hate our life in some kind of self-pity or depressed nature or anything like that. It's not that we hate living, but we hate sin. We hate the way that he's against God, the way that he's designed, the way that he is. So if Jesus is not only just our saviour, but our king, our highest authority, then we need to apply that to our life, to live that out. 
Now, there could be heaps of ways of what it looks like for ways that we need to die. But what what could those things be? I don't know if anything initially comes to your mind with something you need to die to. Most of the time, it's going to be around the idols in our life, things that we make most important. And Tim Keller has a, a wonderful quote, and I'll read it, it'll be on the screen, about defining the idols in our life. These are the things that we need to die to. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that seeks to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Those are the things that we need to die to. Now, we have a choice. We can live following the fleeting pleasures of this world, or we could live the way of Jesus. Now, Jesus knows the pull, the kind of persuasive power of our human desires, of the ways that we see in the world are very attractive. And if we want to overcome them, we need to die to them, to have the work of the Holy Spirit transform us to walk in the way of Jesus. Again, this is not some depressing call to some desireless life. No, this is a call to life to the full, leading us to green pastures. It's not preventing our freedom. It's a life that leads to eternal life. So if we're going to live this way, what is it that you need to die to? What is it that we need to die to? It's got to be very hard, or perhaps the Holy Spirit is putting something on your heart right now. Maybe he is. Maybe you need to spend a bit of time this week. In fact, you should, we, me including, keep doing this all of our life, reflecting on the ways that we've maybe followed after the world and not after Jesus. So set aside some time this week to do that. Specifically, spend some time in prayer. Reread it. Think, pray, consider, reflect what it is that God is calling you to die to and to live for him. And then with that, as we're going to end John chapter 12, Jesus walks off the public stage. He doesn't appear again until his um, arrest and then his death. It's this whole beautiful scene of a, of a discourse in the upper room. And if we were going to summarize all that's going to happen in verses in chapter 1 through to 12, there's lots of ways we could do it. We're summarizing it as Jesus is inviting us to walk in the light and life of Christ walking in the light and life of the King, Jesus, the Son of God. As we've explored the first half of, chapter, oh, first half of John, there's a commentator, N.T. Wright, that says like, we've been captured and caught up in this inspiring wave after wave of looking into the human face of a living God. And then this God, this Jesus, calls us to walk in his way, to experience life. So as we close this series... What has stood out to you as you've gazed at Jesus, as you've thought about what it looks like to walk in his way? What has stood out to you? What ways have you been challenged or invited to change the way that you live, to experience life to the full, both now and into eternal life? As the rain falls and in this moment, I want to give you some time to reflect May reflect on this sermon, reflect on the whole series, uh, reflect on maybe something even that you read this week that the Holy Spirit is pressing on your heart. 
Ask yourself perhaps these two questions. What is the picture of Jesus that has struck out to you? In what ways is he inviting you to follow him? What is the picture of Jesus? In what way is he inviting you to follow him? To just kind of really quickly run through what we've looked at. In chapter 7, it was about living water. Living water for a thirsty soul. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice and he said, Come all who are thirsty. And from within you, rivers will flow of living water. Chapter 8 was about Jesus being the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Chapter 9, Jesus brings sight to a blind man. He brings spiritual sight. In chapter 10, it was about Jesus being the good shepherd. Maybe that stuck out to you. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And have it to the full. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the second half of chapter 10, we looked at how Jesus continues to invite us to follow him. If you're still not sure about Jesus, Jesus walks with you, your doubts and your questions, offering you life in him. Last week, it was the three resurrections. Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then tonight, it was about Jesus being the king. What is the Holy Spirit impressing on your heart? I'm going to give you about, well, we're going to have about four minutes. There'll be a song playing. The rain of the Lord will be falling around us. And just reflect. Spend some time in prayer. Write them down if you want. Our lives are busy. We'll stop for a moment. What is it the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your heart to engage with? After we've done that reflection, uh, we'll get up and respond in the way that we should, which is in worship. I'm going to pray, then those things will be back on the screen, and I'll, we'll give you a couple of minutes to just personally reflect. Holy Spirit, we ask that you do your work amongst us, that you always do your work amongst us. In this time within each of us, draw the things of Jesus and his words and his ways to our hearts and to our minds transform us into his likeness, we pray. Amen.